The reading this morning comes from the New Testament, the book of Romans, as uh, we continue the series in Romans. We're reading Romans chapter 1, commencing at verse uh, 18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may have been known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God, nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion. Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They are senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. May God bless that reading to us this morning. Uh, keep your Bibles open if you've got one. Uh, if you don't, do try and grab one if there's one on a seat near you. Uh, at the end, we're going to have a time for questions. So if something comes up that you'd like to find out more about, uh, there'll be a time for that at the end. Uh, but this morning, we're going to talk about sex. And in a world that is saturated by sex, there, there is a danger here that the message that you receive right now will probably just be one of dozens of messages about sex that you will hear today. If you think about your life, when you turn on the TV, when you look at social media, even in conversations with friends often, uh, sex is just so uh, dominant in our, our culture's thinking that what you hear now is, is probably the minority view. All the other messages you hear about sex today will probably say something different. And so it's going to be really important today that we see that this is God's view of sex. And so we need to give it special attention. 
Now, uh, for some of you particularly, uh, those of you who are older, you'll have noticed just a massive change in the way our society views and thinks about sex. In just a few generations, we've gone from sex being something that probably wasn't spoken about all that much to it now being seen as almost like the primary way that someone defines themselves. Sexual identity is just so ingrained in our culture. There's been a massive change. This morning we're going to try and answer the question of how did we get here? How did we get to this point where we have a society so obsessed with sex? How did we get to a, a society where sexual identity is, is the, the fundamental marker by which people choose to define themselves? Some people, anyway. We're going to see how we got to the point where TV shows are just becoming increasingly explicit in their content. We're going to see how it is that in just a few short generations, homosexuality has come, gone from something that was widespread condemnation to toleration to celebration. We're going to see why pornography is so prolific, why we have an epidemic of infidelity, why we have an endless cycle of sexual assault and abuse. And as we do that, we're going to see that the reason for all of these things is is not what people would typically point to. Because as you trace the, I guess, the growth of this sexual culture in our culture, uh, people might, might point to the availability of contraceptives or the legalisation of no-fault divorce or, or the in- internet as the reason that our culture has become the way it is. Uh, today we're going to see there's actually something far deeper than that. These things are relevant at a surface level, but today we're going to see that at its core, the reason our culture is obsessed with sex is because of God's anger at sin. And of course we're going to see that it's not just sex, it's actually in a whole raft of other things in our culture. But when we see what it is that actually causes our world to be the way it is, it's also then that we can see how we can respond to a sex-obsessed world. So that's kind of where we're heading this morning. I expect it might raise some questions, we'll have a time for that, but right now, how about we pray and ask that we would hear God's message about sex and sin. Would you pray with me? Uh, Father God, we are in a world that is obsessed with sex in a world that celebrates sin, Lord, we ask that right now you would help us see your perspective, your truth, to see why our world is the way it is. And Lord, we pray that as we do that, we might also then see the great hope that there is for a world that is broken by sin. Uh, Lord, keep us from judgmentalism, keep us from uh, looking down on others while not examining ourselves. Lord, help us come to grips with the reality of sin so that we might be uh, moved ever grateful toward your gospel. And Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. 
Amen. I forgot my clicker. (laughs) If you've just joined us, I want to kind of catch you up on where we're at in the book of Romans. And right now, uh, well, Paul is writing a letter to Christians in Rome. That's the, the, the big picture. And the reason he's writing to them, I, I talked about this in question time last week. There's kind of two sort of reasons they're related. First, he's trying to address disunity in the church in Rome. The church was made up of all sorts of different people with different backgrounds. And for various reasons, which we'll come to, uh, they, were, they weren't always getting along with one another. And so Paul writes to them to urge them to be united by showing them the thing that unites them. And the thing that unites them is their need for the gospel and that they have all received the same gospel. We are all in the same boat because we all have the same need and the same solution to that need. Now, the second reason Paul's writing to them, which I talked about just in the kids' talk, is that he wants the help of the Romans as he goes to take the gospel to the nations. Now, he's about to go to Jerusalem, and then he's going to travel over to Spain, uh, which, if you kind of mentally image your, your geography, uh, is the far west of the Roman Empire, far away from Jerusalem, even you know, quite far beyond Rome. He's going to the, the, the Wild West, And he wants the Romans to help him. But they're not going to be much help if they're divided and and fighting with one another. Uh, And so he wants them to grasp how the gospel that they believe is good news for all of them. He wants them to be united around the gospel. But he wants them to see that that gospel is, is hope for even the people far off in Spain. And so Paul's letter is all about this gospel. We began by Paul highlighting the gospel right at the start of chapter one. He wants to show the Romans that the gospel is the power of God that brings salvation. But then from chapter one, verse 18 to chapter three, verse 20, Paul goes on to show the need for the gospel. The gospel is God's solution, and now we see the problem. We just read it, verse 18, because the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people. Now, we started looking at this last Sunday. Last Sunday, we answered the question, why? Why is God's wrath being revealed? And we saw that God's wrath is being revealed because everyone knows the truth about God and yet suppresses that truth. Remember, simply by looking around at creation, everyone knows that there is a God, a God whose eternal power and divine nature make him worthy of worship. But everyone, despite knowing this, suppresses that truth, denies that truth, pretends that it is not true. And so instead of worshipping God, people turn to worshipping the things that God has made. And so basically the reason God's wrath is being revealed is because all people everywhere are living as if he doesn't exist. Now you might know what that feels like to to have someone else live as if you don't exist. 
If you've ever you know, received the silent treatment from a friend who's angry at you, if you've ever been shunned by members of your family, you know the hurt, the pain that comes with being treated as if you're just not there. But how much worse would it be if your own child did that to you? Just imagine that. Your own child, a young child, not a teenager. All teenagers do this. But imagine a young child, the child that you've sacrificed everything for, the, the, the child that you've given your time, your energy, your money, your career, your sleep, your healthy body shape, all of that you've given up. You've done nothing but love this child, only ever wanting the best for them. And imagine that child then turns around one day and says, I have no parents. And then proceeds to change the locks and seize control of your bank accounts and take everything that is yours. That's only just kind of scratching the surface of what all people have done to God. They owe their very existence to him and yet they sort of just pretend that he's not there. And they're worshipping other things. And so that's the answer to why God's wrath is being revealed. But today we turn the to our second question, the question of how. We saw already last week that Paul describes God's wrath being revealed now. This is not just what's going to happen at the end when Jesus returns. It it is happening now. It is a present reality. God's wrath is being revealed. So, So how is it being revealed? What does that look like? How do we experience God's wrath today? Well, we get the answer in verse 24. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts. In response to people who refuse to worship him and instead worship created things, in response to people who look to the things that God made for hope and security and purpose, God says, very well, you can have exactly what you want. Now, the word that's translated in the NIV is, is sinful desires. Uh, in other translations, it might, it might say lusts. Uh, It's the Greek word epithumia, and it's a word that means strong desire. It's not actually a negative word. It's it's neutral. It's not necessarily sinful desires. It's just strong desires. Now, in Philippians 1, Paul actually uses the word in a really positive sense when he says it is his epithumia, his strong desire to depart this world and be with Christ. It can be a a positive desire, but it's a, a strong desire It can be good or bad. Now, you might have strong desires for your spouse. I hope you do. You might have strong desires for your career. That's fine. But when your strong desires direct you away from the truth about God, when your strong desires lead you to seek hope and security and purpose in things rather than in God, Being handed over to those desires is the absolute worst thing that could happen to you. Tim Keller illustrates it like this. Uh, He says, imagine a man who's obsessed with his career. I don't reckon you have to stretch too much to imagine that, do you? You know someone. Obsessed. 
slaves away at the office, he stays late, his family don't see him. When he's at home, he's, he's just absorbed in his phone or in his computer doing work. His strong desire is for his career. What's the worst thing that could happen to that man? Well, the worst thing that could happen to that man is that he gets the very thing that he wants, a promotion. Because the day he gets his promotion is the day that he's destroyed by his work and the day his family is destroyed by his work. Getting what he wants is the worst thing that could happen. Well, friends, being given over to your sinful desires is a disaster. Oscar Wilde puts it like this, when the gods wish to punish us, they answer our prayers. Because in response to our refusal to glorify God or give thanks to him, God gives us what we want. He hands us over to our desires and our desires here are sinful. He gives us what we want. We we talk sometimes about divine intervention. This is almost divine non-intervention. In a sense, God sort of surrenders control of us. He lets our desires go unchecked. It's sort of what I've done with my veggie garden in recent weeks. I've I've given it over to the weeds. I've withdrawn my intervention and I'm letting it go and it's a disaster. Just as it does with the weeds in my veggie garden, God giving us over to our desires... It sends us into a downward spiral of depravity. Have a look. Even though they knew God, oh, sorry. they knew God, verse 21, they rejected God, they neither glorified him or gave thanks to him. So, verse 24, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity, for the degrading of their bodies with one another. The first way that God's wrath is revealed is that God gives us over to rampant sexual desire. He allows us to be consumed by sexual desire, to be inflamed with lust, to be enslaved by our fantasies. And this leads to people degrading their own bodies, taking what God has given them to use for good and and trashing it. Now, do you see the the logic here? It's really interesting. It shows here there is a, a link, a direct link, between what we think about God and what we do with our bodies. Do you see the logic Paul says everyone knows the truth about God, everyone rejects the truth about God, And it's because we reject that truth that God gives everyone over to sinful sexual desires. Which means that sexual sin is the result, the outworking, what inevitably happens when people refuse to worship God. Now, of course, sexual sin is not the only way that human rejection of God plays out. As we get down to verse 29 to 31, you're going to see Paul give us a long list of other ways, other things that flow out of our rejection of God. But Paul does highlight sexual sin. 
And he wants to show us that when people suppress the truth about God, when we reject his authority, then it should come as no surprise that we will look for satisfaction, for fulfillment, for joy in other things. And one of the places that we look for it is is sex. It makes perfect sense that we live in a world that's obsessed with sex. That's what happens when we reject God. The wrath of God is revealed by God giving us over to our sexual desires. But as we keep moving forward in verse 25, we see the same pattern repeat. They knew God. There is a truth about God which people everywhere know. They rejected God. They exchanged that truth for a lie. And so it's because of this, verse 26, that God gave them over. Do you see? It's another cycle of the pattern. They knew, they rejected, God gave them over. And this time God gives them over to shameful lusts, to homosexual desire that leads to people once again exchanging God's design for an unnatural one. Women exchange natural sexual relations with unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Now, this passage, Romans 1, is the Bible's probably clearest teaching on homosexuality. People have tried to dismiss it, to try and argue that Paul isn't saying what he is clearly saying. And it's very clear that homosexual sex is sin. And it is sin because it goes against nature as God defines it. Paul makes very clear here that it's not up to us to define nature. It is up to God. Just as a quick note, verse 27 there, uh, the Jew penalty that Paul describes Uh, Some people kind of point to that and think, oh, is Paul talking about HIV AIDS or something like that? That's the due penalty for homosexual sin. The due penalty is actually far worse than that. I don't think it is talking about HIV AIDS. The due penalty for homosexual sin, as with all sin, is being given over by God in his wrath. That's the due penalty It's being out of step with what God says is good. It's being handed over to sinful desire. Come to verse 28 and we see the same pattern repeat. They know, they reject, God gives them over. They knew God. There's a knowledge of God. They rejected God. They did not think it worthwhile to retain that knowledge of God. And so once again, God gave them over. This time to a depraved mind. A depravity which runs so deep that Paul says they are filled with every kind of wickedness. This is total depravity. Not that humans are as sinful as they could possibly be, but that every aspect of our lives is tainted by sin. And you see that in this long list of sins which Paul brings out. 
It affects everything, our bodies, our minds, our relationships. It's all affected. Do you see? Evil, greed, depravity, envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, gossip, slander, hatred of God, insolence, arrogance, boasting, inventing ways of doing evil, disobeying their parents, having no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. These are all God's wrath being revealed. Not the cause of God's anger, the evidence of it. All the things that naturally happen when we deny the truth about God. And God hands us over to our own desires. Do you see what that says about humanity? We like to believe this, this illusion that, that humans are basically good. But when God lets our desires go unchecked, this is the result. All, every manner of wickedness. A downward spiral of depravity. The reason this world is the way it is, is because we are the way that we are. It's because we have suppressed the truth about God. So bringing this all together, why is God's wrath being revealed? Because we've all suppressed the truth about God and worshipped things instead of him. How is God's wrath being revealed? By God giving us exactly what we want and letting us fall deeper and deeper into this downward spiral of depravity. Friends, the reason our world is the way it is, the reason our world is obsessed with sex, the reason our world seems to be in an ever-deepening pit of depravity is because in God's wrath, he has given people over to their desires, given them exactly what they want. Now, how do we, what, what do we do with this knowledge? It's a bleak picture, isn't it? Now, Paul, Paul says, God's wrath is being revealed. Here's what's happened. And, and here we are in that mess. What do we do with that? What does that mean for us in this world that is sex obsessed? How do we deal with the sexual immorality that we all see around us? Now, there's a few things we do. First, Let's not be ashamed to call sin, sin. The thing is, when we're living in this culture where our world is indeed celebrating sexual sin, there is a pressure on us to do the same. And and you will have experienced that. I remember uh, when I was a minister on the Gold Coast, a high school girl in our youth group at school was was being labelled as an enemy of LGBTQ stuff because she wouldn't wear the badge that said, I support it. And she felt no, no hatred, no ill will towards people who, who felt that way, but she just said, I cannot wear a badge that says, I support our, our world's view of sexuality. And so she was labelled an enemy. There was tremendous pressure on her, there's tremendous pressure on us to conform 
Because when we don't, well, we're, we're bigoted, we're hateful, we're on the wrong side of history. Now, under that pressure, there will be many Christians who do conform, who will join the masses and they will celebrate what God says is sinful. There will be other Christians who just stay silent. Now, just keep your head down. Let's not draw attention to the fact that we think differently. But friends, if we're going to be a light in a world darkened by sexual sin, we can't be afraid to call a spade a spade. Sexual sin of all kinds, and not just homosexuality, of all kinds, is sin. It is opposed to God. It stems from denying the truth about who God is. Let's not forget the words that Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 6. He says, Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Let's not be afraid to call sin, sin. But secondly, let's recognize that while sexual sin is sinful, it is not the only kind of sin, nor is it the worst kind of sin. I think I, I sort of see in the church that we, we tend to see sexual sinners as in a particular category. We kind of see them as, as, a, as a, a further layer of depravity, further opposed to God than anyone else. And I guess the, the test of that would be to say, if you were to meet someone who said they were homosexual, uh, what would your response to them be? <laughs> Would it be the same? Would you invite them to church or would you kind of think, oh, they're, they're actually, no, they're too far gone? We have a tendency to see sexual immorality as, as particularly bad. And quite often the reason for that is that we see that we are not guilty ourselves. And so in our proud, we, pride, we see ourselves as, as better. Now, Paul's going to address that very issue in chapter 2, which we'll look at next week. He's going to say, don't think for a second that this doesn't apply to you. But for now, it's enough for us to say that while we may not identify with homosexual sin or sexual sin more broadly, we mustn't fall into the trap of thinking that we are not somewhere on, in view of Paul's list of sins here. Now have a look at what Paul describes in verses 29 to 31. I'm sure there is something there that you will identify with. Don't think for a second that, that we're not in the same boat as those in our culture who are lost in sexual sin. Don't be afraid to call sin, sin. Recognize that we too are sinful. And so one of the best ways that we can respond to homosexuality and to all sexual sin is to see ourselves as just like them. Guilty of sin. Under the wrath of God because we have denied the truth about him. Thirdly, 
The best way for us to respond to a sex-obsessed world is to keep the solution in mind. Sexual immorality is not the cause of God's wrath, but the evidence of it. And so the solution is not behavioural change. You see, so often we we tend to think that the the solution to the problems of our world are, are addressed at a superficial level. And so we think that the solution to sexual sin is is abstinence or or legal prohibition or something else, something that might minimise the effects of God's wrath. But again, 1 Corinthians 6 is helpful here. Because after reminding his readers that neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor any sinners will inherit the kingdom of God. Paul says, and this is what some of you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. Now, do you see what Paul doesn't say? He doesn't say the difference between you and them is that you pulled your socks up and you just stopped sinning. He doesn't say, but you tried really hard and you did it. He says, you didn't do anything. The Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of God did it for you. He washed you, forgiveness. He sanctified you, set you apart for himself. He justified you, declared you to be righteous. Which means, friends, the, the answer that we give to homosexuals, the answer we give to anyone caught in sexual sin is not abstinence, it's not legal prohibition. The answer we give is the same answer that, that we give to the person who is addicted to pornography and the same answer we give to the person who is lost in their sexual fantasies. And it's the same answer we give to those who struggle with greed and with anger. The same answer we give to those who are proud and arrogant. The same answer we give to those who tell lies or spread gossip or say nasty things about people behind their backs. And the solution to all these things is not behavior modification. It's not try harder. The solution is the power of God, which brings salvation. Friends, how do we respond to a sexually obsessed world? How do we respond to our homosexual neighbors? We show them the gospel. We show them the power of God that brings salvation. Let's pray. Father God, we're confronted by sin in this passage. It's easy for us to see the sin that is out there in our world. And we do grieve over it. Lord, we see a world that is particularly held captive by sexual sin. But Lord, there is a danger that we might look, look at that situation with, with proud or arrogant thoughts. As if that we are somehow immune from the sin that has so enslaved our world. Now, Lord, we know that's not the case. And so help us to see the sin that is in our own lives. Help us to see that we too are under the wrath of God. 
because we too have denied the truth about him. But Lord, may that drive us to the solution. May that help us see that the thing that we need and the thing that we have received is the same thing that our world needs. And so, Lord, we pray that you might shine the light of the gospel in a world darkened by sexual sin. We pray that the truth may come out, that the solution is not behavioural change, that the only solution to sin is your power being revealed. And so, Lord, we pray that that might go out. We pray that the gospel might set people free from sexual depravity, We pray that the gospel might set people free from every kind of wickedness like we see here in Romans 1. We pray that the gospel might go out and reveal your righteousness, a way of being right with you that doesn't come from us but comes as your free gift. Lord, grip us with this gospel. Give us a confidence in this gospel. And may this gospel go out into the world bringing sinners like us to yourself. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.